0: SECTION 6 OF CELEBRATED TRAVELS AND TRAVELERS, VOLUME 2. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY MALONE. CELEBRATED TRAVELS AND TRAVELERS, VOLUME 2. Great navigators of the 18th century by Jules Verne, First Part, Chapter Two, Part Two. Captain Cook's predecessors, Two B. Peace was established, and from the marrow a regular and abundant traffic commenced, which supplied the ships with the fresh provisions needed by the crews there was ground for hope that these amicable relations would continue during their stay in the island now that the natives had once realized the power and effect of the stranger's weapons wallace therefore ordered a tent to be prepared near the water supply and disembarked all the sufferers from scurvy whilst the healthy members of his company were engaged in repairing the rigging mending the sails, and caulking and repainting the vessel, putting her, in short, in a condition fitted for the long journey which was to take her to England. At this juncture, Wallace's illness assumed an alarming character. The first lieutenant was in hardly better health. All the responsibility of the expedition fell upon Fourneau, who was quite equal to the task. After a rest of fifteen days, during which the peace had not been disturbed, Wallace found all his invalids restored to health. Provisions, however, became less plentiful; The natives, spoilt by the abundance of nails and hatchets, became more exacting. Upon the 15th of July, a tall woman, apparently some forty-five years of age, of majestic appearance, and who seemed to be much respected by the natives, came on board the Dauphin. Wallace at once perceived by the dignity of her deportment and the freedom of her manner, peculiar to persons habituated to command, that she was of high station. He presented her with a blue mantle, a looking-glass, and other gigaws, which she received with an expression of profound contentment. Upon leaving the vessel, she invited the captain to land and to pay her a visit. Wallace, although still very weak, did not fail to comply with this request next day. He was conducted to a large hut, which covered about 327 feet in length and 42 in width. The roof was constructed of palm leaves and was supported by 53 pillars a considerable crowd collected together by the event lined the approach and received him respectfully the visit was enlivened by a comical incident the surgeon of the vessel who perspired greatly from the effects of the walk to relieve himself took off his wig a sudden exclamation from one of the indians at this sight drew general attention to the prodigy and all fixed their eyes upon it the whole assemblage remained perfectly still for some moments in the silence of astonishment which could not have been greater if they had seen one of our company decapitated next day a messenger sent to convey a present to queen oberoa in acknowledgment of her gracious reception found her giving a feast to several hundred persons her servants carried the dishes to her already prepared the meat in coconut shells and the shellfish in a sort of wooden trough similar to those used by our butchers she herself distributed them with her own hands to each of her guests who were sitting and standing all round the house when this was over she seated herself upon a sort of raised dais and two women beside her gave her her food they offered the viands to her in their fingers and she had only to take the trouble to open her mouth. The consequences of this exchange of civilities were speedily felt. The market was once more fully supplied with provisions, although no longer at the same low price as upon the first arrival of the English. Lieutenant Furneaux reconnoitred the length of the coast westward to gain an idea of the island, and to see what it was possible to obtain from it the english were everywhere well received they found a pleasant country densely populated whose inhabitants appeared in no hurry to sell their commodities all their working implements were either of stone or of bone which led lieutenant furneaux to infer that the tahitians possess no metals as they had no earthenware vessels they had no idea that water could be heated they discovered it one day when the queen dined on board one of the principal members of her suite having seen the surgeon pour water from the boiler into the teapot turned the tap and received the scalding liquor upon his hand Finding himself burnt, he uttered most frightful screams, and ran round the cabin making most extravagant gestures. His companions, unable to imagine what had happened to him, stared at him with mingled astonishment and fear. The surgeon hastened to interfere, but for a long time the poor Tahitian refused to be comforted. Some days later Wallace discovered that his sailors stole nails to give them to the native women. They even went so far as to raise the planks of the ship to obtain screws, nails, bolts, and all the bits of iron which united them to the timbers. Wallace treated the offense rigorously, but nothing availed, and in spite of the precaution he took, OF ALLOWING NO ONE TO LEAVE THE VESSEL WITHOUT BEING SEARCHED, THESE ROBBERIES CONSTANTLY OCCURRED. AN EXPEDITION UNDERTAKEN INTO THE INTERIOR DISCOVERED A LARGE VALLEY WATERED BY A BEAUTIFUL RIVER. EVERYWHERE THE SOIL WAS CAREFULLY CULTIVATED, AND ARRANGEMENTS HAD BEEN MADE FOR WATERING THE GARDENS AND THE FRUIT PLANTATIONS farther penetrations into the interior proved the capacious windings of the river the valley narrowed the hills were succeeded by mountains at every step the way became more difficult a peak distant about six miles from the place of landing was climbed in the hope of thus discovering the entire island even to its smallest recesses but the view was intercepted by yet higher mountains on the side towards the sea however nothing interfered with the magnificent view which stretched before their gaze everywhere hills covered with magnificent woods upon whose verdant slopes the huts of the natives stood out clearly and in the valleys with their numberless cabins and gardens surrounded by hedges the scenes were still more enchanting the sugar-cane ginger-plant tamarind and tree ferns with coconut trees furnished the principal resources of this fertile country wallace wishing to enrich it still more with the productions of our own climate caused peach cherry and plum stones to be planted as well as lemon orange and lime pips and sowed quantities of vegetable seeds at the same time he gave the queen a present of a cat about a kitten of two cocks, fowls, geese, and other domestic animals, which he hoped might breed well. However, time passed, and Wallace decided to leave. When he announced his intention to the queen, she threw herself upon a seat and cried for a long time, with so much grief that it was impossible to comfort her she remained upon the vessel up to the last moment and as it set sail embraced us says wallace in the tenderest way weeping plenteously and our friends the tahitians bade us farewell with so much sorrow and in so touching a manner that i felt heavy-hearted and my eyes filled with tears the uncourteous reception of the english and the repeated attempts made by the natives to seize the vessel would hardly have led to the idea of a painful separation however as the proverb has it all's well that ends well of wallace's observations of the manners and customs of the island we shall only enumerate the few following as we shall have occasion to return to them again in relating the voyages undertaken by bougainville and cook tall well built, active, slightly dark in complexion, the natives were clothed in a species of white stuff made from the bark of trees. Two pieces of stuff completed their costume. one was square and looked like a blanket. The head was thrust through a hole in the centre, and it recalled the zarapo of the Mexicans and the poncho of the South American Indian. The second piece was rolled round the body without being tightened almost all men and women tattoo their bodies with black lines close together representing different figures the operation was thus performed the pattern was pricked in the skin and the holes filled with a sort of paste composed of oil and grease which left an indelible mark civilization has little advanced we have already stated that the tahitians did not understand earthenware vessels wallace therefore presented the queen with a saucepan which everybody flocked to inspect with extreme curiosity as to religion the captain found no trace of that he only noticed that upon entering certain places which he took to be cemeteries they maintained a respectful appearance and wore mourning apparel one of the natives more disposed than his companions to adopt english manners was presented with a complete suit of clothes which became him very well jonathan so they named him was quite proud of his new outfit to put the finishing touch to his manners he desired to learn the use of a fork but habit was too strong for him his hands always went to his mouth and the bit of meat at the end of the fork found its way to his ear it was the twenty seventh of july when wallace left the george three island after coasting duke of york island he discovered several islands or islets in succession upon which he did not touch for example charles saunders lord howe scilly boscoen and keppel islands where the hostile character of the natives and the difficulty of disembarkation prevented his landing winter was now to begin in the southern region the vessel leaked in all directions the stern especially was much strained by the rudder was it wise under such circumstances to sail for cape horn or the straits of magellan would it not be running the risk of certain shipwreck would it not be better to reach tinian or batavia where repairs were possible and to return to europe by the cape of good hope wallace decided upon the latter course he steered for the northwest and upon the nineteenth of september after a voyage which was too fortunate to supply any incidents he cast anchor in the tinian harbor the incidents which marked Byron's stay in this place were repeated with far too much regularity. Wallace could not rejoice over its facilities for provisioning or the temperature of the country any more than his predecessors; but the sufferers from scurvy recovered in a short time, the sails were mended, and the vessel caulked and repaired, and the crew had the unexpected good fortune of catching new fever on the sixteenth october seventeen sixty nine the dauphin returned to sea but this time she encountered a succession of frightful storms which tore the sails reopened the leakage broke the rudder and carried away the poop with all that was to be found on the forecastle however the bashies were rounded and formosa strait crossed sandy isle small key long island and new island were recognized as also condor timor aros pisang palotaya Pulo Tote, and sumatra before the arrival at batavia which took place upon the thirtieth of november we have already had occasion to mention the localities which witnessed the completion of the voyage it is enough to state that from batavia where the crews took the fever, Wallace proceeded by the Cape, thence to St. Helena, and finally arrived in the Downs on the 20th of May, 1768, after 637 days' voyage. It is to be regretted that Hawksworth has not reproduced the instructions Wallace received from the Admiralty without knowing what they were we cannot decide whether this brave sailor carried out the orders he had received au pied de la lettre we have seen that he followed with little variation the route traced by his predecessors in the pacific ocean in fact nearly all had approached by the dangerous archipelago leaving unexplored that portion of oceania where islands are most numerous and where cook was later to make such important discoveries clever as a navigator wallace understood how to obtain from a hasty and incomplete equipment unexpected resources which enabled him to bring an adventurous enterprise to a successful close he is equally to be honored for his humanity and the efforts he made to collect reliable information of the countries he visited. Had he only been accompanied by special men of science, there is no doubt that their scientific harvest would have been abundant. The fault lay with the Admiralty. We have related how, on the 10th of April, 1767, as the Dauphin and the Swallow entered the Pacific, the former, carried away by a strong breeze had lost sight of the latter and had been unable to follow her this separation was most unfortunate for captain carteret he knew better than any of his crew the dilapidated condition of his vessel and the insufficiency of his provisions in short he was well aware that he could only hope to meet the dauphin in england as no plan of operation had been arranged and no rendezvous had been named—a grave omission on Wallace's part, who was also aware of the condition of his consort. Nevertheless, Carteret allowed none of his apprehensions to come to the knowledge of the crew. At first the detestable weather experienced by the swallow upon the Pacific Ocean—most misleading name Allowed no time for reflection. The dangers of the passing moment, in which there was every prospect of their being engulfed, hid from them the perils of the future. Carteret steered for the north by the coast of Chile. Upon investigating the quantity of soft water which he had on board, he found it quite insufficient for the voyage he had undertaken. He determined, therefore before setting sail for the west, to take in water at Juan Fernandez, or at Massafuero. The weather continued wretched. Upon the evening of the 27th, a sudden squall was followed by a rising wind, which carried the vessel straight to the cape. The violence of the storm failed to carry away the masts or to founder the ship. The tempest continued in all its fury and the sails being extremely wet clung round the masts and rigging so closely that it was impossible to work them next day a sudden wave broke the mizzenmast just where there was a flaw in the sail and submerged the vessels for a few moments the storm only abated sufficiently to allow the crew of the swallow time to recover a little and to repair the worst damage then recommenced and continued with violent squalls until the seventh of may the wind then became favorable and three days later juan fernandez was reached carteret was not aware that the spaniards had fortified this island he was therefore extremely surprised at seeing a large number of men upon the shore and at perceiving a battery of four pieces on the beach and a fort pierced with twenty embrasures and surmounted by the spanish flag upon a hill the rising wind prevented an entrance into cumberland bay and after cruising about for an entire day carteret was obliged to content himself with reaching mont but he met the same obstacles and the surge which broke upon the shore interfered with his operations, and it was only with the utmost difficulty that he succeeded in shipping a few casks of water. Some of the crew, who had been forced by the state of the sea to remain on land, killed guinea-fowls enough to feed the entire crew. These, with the exception of some seals and plenty of fish, were the sole result of a stay marked by a succession of squalls and storms which constantly placed the ship in danger. Carteret, who, owing to unfavorable winds, had had several opportunities of noticing Monsafuero, corrected many of the errors in the account of Lord Anson's voyage, and furnished many details of inestimable use to navigators. On leaving Monsafuero, Carteret steered northward in the hope of meeting the southeastern trade wind, carried farther than he had counted upon he determined to seek st ambrose and st felix island or the island of st paul now that the spaniards had taken possession of and fortified juan fernandez those islands might be of great value to the english in the event of war but mr green's charts and the elements of navigation by robertson did not tally as to their situation Carteret, having most confidence in the latter work, sought for them in the north, and failed to find them. In re-reaching the description given by Wazer, Davis's surgeon, he thought these two islands were identical with the land met with by that filibuster in his route to the south of the Galapagos Islands, and that Davis's land did not exist. This caused a double error that of identifying st felix island with davis's land and of denying the existence of the latter which is in reality easter island at this parallel says carteret that is in eighteen degrees west from his point of departure we had fresh breezes and a strong northerly current and other reasons for conjecturing that we were near davis's land which we were seeking so carefully. But a stiff breeze rising again we steered quarter southwest and reached twenty-eight and a half degrees southern latitude, from which it follows, that if this land, or anything answering to it, exists, I must infallibly have fallen in with it, or at least have seen it. I afterwards remained in twenty eight degrees south latitude and forty degrees west of my point of departure and as far as I can conjecture one hundred and twenty one degrees west london all the navigators combined in insisting upon the existence of a southern continent carteret could not conceive that davis's land was but a small island a spot lost in the immensity of the ocean as he found no continent he decided upon the non-existence of davis's land it was precisely in this way that he was misled carteret continued his search until the seventh of june he was in twenty eight degrees south latitude and a hundred and twelve degrees west longitude that is to say he was in the immediate neighbourhood of easter island it was still the depth of winter. The sea ran continually high. Violent and variable winds, dull, foggy, and cold weather, was accompanied by thunder, rain, and snow. No doubt it was owing to the great darkness and to the thick fog which hid the sun for several days that Carteret failed to perceive Easter Island, for many signs, such as the number of birds, floating seaweeds, and so on, announced the neighborhood of land. These atmospheric troubles again retarded the voyage, in addition to which the swallow was as bad a sailor as possible, and one may guess at the weariness, the preoccupation, even the mental suffering of the captain, who saw his crew on the point of starvation. But in spite of all, the voyage was continued by day and night in a westerly direction until the second of july upon this day land was discovered to the north and on the morrow carteret was sufficiently close to recognize it it was only a great rock five miles in circumference covered with trees which appeared uninhabited but the swell so prevalent at this time of year prevented the vessel coming alongside. It was named Pitcairn after the first discoverer. In these latitudes, the sailors, previously in good health, felt the first attacks of scurvy. Upon the 11th, a new land was seen in 22 degrees southern latitude and a 145 degrees 34 minutes longitude. It received the name of Osnaburg, in honor of the king's second son. Next day Carteret sent an expedition to two more islands, where neither eatables nor water were found. The sailors caught many birds in their hands, as they were so tame they did not fly at the approach of man. All these islands belonged to the dangerous group, a long chain of low islands, clusters of which were the despair of all navigators for the few resources they offered carteret thought he recognized Quirós in the land discovered but this place which is called by the natives tahiti is situated more to the north sickness however increased daily the adverse winds but especially the damage the ship had sustained made her progress very slow carteret thought it necessary to follow the route upon which he was most likely to obtain provisions and the needful repairs my intention in the event of my ship being repaired says carteret was to continue my voyage to the south upon the return of a favourable season with a view to new discoveries in that quarter of the world in fact i had settled in my own mind if i could find a continent where sufficient provisions were procurable to remain near its coast until the sun had passed the equator then to gain a distant southern latitude and to proceed westward towards the cape of good hope and to return eastward after touching at the falkland islands should it be necessary and thence to proceed quickly to europe these laudable intentions show carteret to have been a true explorer rather stimulated than intimidated by danger but it proved impossible to carry them into execution end of section six reading by malone